Welcome to the Sunday Morning Bible Study at Whitestone Christian Fellowship, taught by Pastor Bob Lorenz. We're located in the village of Victor, a little southeast of Rochester, New York. Pastor Bob teaches line by line and verse by verse from the Word of God. Now, let's join this week's Sunday Morning Bible Study, already in progress. If you're tuning in online this morning or later in the week, we do welcome you to Whitestone Christian Fellowship. This is our 10 o'clock service on Sunday morning. Before we get into our reading with, uh, with the first verse of Proverbs 2 through 8, uh, one, more, one more prayer request. Uh, Kathleen just handed this to me. Pastor Dan Karam. Uh, he was in a motorcycle accident yesterday morning. A truck veered into his path on the wrong side of the road. He has many broken ribs and broken bones in both arms. He had surgery yesterday, and he, had no, he has another scheduled for today. Please pass, uh, pray for Pastor, Pastor Dan. Uh, keep him in your prayers as he recovers from this horrible accident. As you read through the book of Proverbs, you'll find a really interesting phenomenon written by Solomon, declared to be one of the wisest and beneficent kings of Israel, rich beyond imagination. He penned the book of Proverbs for us, and these first eight chapters are written as though they are from an absentee father to his children whom he misses and yet still loves. That's where we are here on this earth. We know our Father is not physically present with us, but he is always in our hearts. And so uh, there's something to, something to learn about the importance of God's Word in our lives as we read through these first verses of Proverbs 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7, and 8. So please uh, bear with me as we go through these. He writes, My son, if thou wilt receive my words and hide my commandments with thee, my son, forget not my law, but let thine heart keep my commandments. Chapter 4, hear ye children the instruction of a father and attend to no understanding. My son, attend unto my wisdom and bow thine ear to my understanding. My son, if thou wilt be surety for thy friend, if thou hast stricken thy hand with a stranger, and he goes on with a warning. My son, in chapter 7, keep my words and lay up my commandments with thee. In chapter 8, doth not wisdom cry and understanding put forth her voice? There is much to be learned from these first eight chapters. And just as an example, I'm going to read through part of chapter 2 of Proverbs, 
We already read verse 1, My son, if thou wilt receive my words and hide my commandments with thee, so that thou incline thine ear unto wisdom and apply thy heart unto understanding, yea, if thou criest after knowledge and liftest up the voice for understanding, if thou seekest her as silver and searchest for her as for hid treasure, then shalt thou understand the fear of the Lord and find the knowledge of God. For the Lord giveth wisdom out of his mouth, cometh knowledge and understanding. He layeth up sound wisdom for the righteous. He is a buckler to them who walk uprightly. He keepeth the paths of judgment and preserveth the way of his saints. There is so many promises, just every line in that has a promise for us, and you'll find that throughout all of the Proverbs, but particularly in these first eight chapters. If you haven't read them lately, I would encourage you to do so. It's promise after promise after promise. Wisdom and understanding have been personified so much so that we are to seek after them. We are to learn and listen and pay attention to the things that God has for us. Even from the days of the Garden of Eden, God never meant His creation, us, to live apart from His Word or to be separated from His Word Yet we know that we know that the wisdom of man says that our own human wisdom is enough. And yet God says, no, his thoughts and his ways are much higher than our ways and much higher than our thoughts. God sees eternity all at once. It's like the difference of marching in a parade or maybe standing on the sidelines of a parade and watching all of the marching units go by from beginning to end. That's how we live our lives. But God has an overview where he looks down upon all of us and he sees the parade from beginning to end and he sees everything in the middle to boot. We call him the Alpha and Omega, the beginning and the end. And by the way, it's everything in between as well. It's important for us to know that God wrote his word. He had his word written, scribed down for us to read, for us to know, and for us to live by. With all the things that are going on in the world today, we need something to fall back on that's not fickle, that's not motivated by politics or wealth, that's not going to be changed tomorrow. We need something that is going to be steadfast and solid beliefs that we can stand on and count on. The horrors that are going on in Afghanistan, the horrors that are still going on in Myanmar from, from the beginning of the year, 
an earthquake and a hurricane going through Haiti again. And what does man have to offer them? Governments that let them down. Armies that persecute and kill and maim. That steal and rob and destroy. That take possessions. That's the way of the world. And we need something more steadfast than that. We need something, we need someone, we need Jesus Christ, the living Word of God, to guide us through these troubling times. There are some horrible events that have gone on in the last few years. It seems ever since September 11th, 2001, it has gotten worse and worse. But it's curious that God's Word tells us that things will get worse and worse towards the end. The storms of life will come more frequently, more powerfully, and it will shake the faith of every person. Sometimes even as the Word says that the very elect, the elect of God might be deceived. So stick close to the Word. Stick close to Jesus. If you're feeling out of sorts, cry out to Him. Don't cry out to the governor. Don't cry out to the local militia. Cry out to Jesus. He's the only one that is powerful enough to overcome all of these things. We know that in some of these troubling spots in, around the world, and it doesn't matter if it's in Southeast Asia or the Middle East, whether it's in Africa, South America, the whole world is in an uproar. Natural affection is all but gone, except in the case of believers except in the case of believers, because that natural affection comes from Jesus Christ. His love for us, regardless of circumstances, is always a constant in our lives. As we look at Matthew chapter 18, this seems to be a little turning point in the gospel of Jesus. He has been ministering to people around the Galilee region for a long time. He has had the apostles surrounding him, even participating in some of the miracles. And most recently, in chapter 16, he had three apostles with him that would be leaders in the church. He had three apostles with him for his transfiguration. And it's incredible because it happened pretty much in front of the gates of hell. The gates of hell is a grotto. It's, 
It's in the Banyas region of the Galilee, way up along the north, near the border of Lebanon, in the region of Dan, the tribe of Dan. And it's the same place where Peter was given the keys to the kingdom, not the keys to the church. He was given the keys to the kingdom, and that's a distinction that we need to acknowledge. The keys to the kingdom are the gospel and all of the scriptures. The gospel is the good news. A change has taken place. And here in Matthew chapter 18, we find that they have come down from Mount Hermon. They are back along the Sea of Galilee, back among the crowds. And last week at the end of the chapter, we found that Jesus told Peter to go and go fishing. And the first fish you catch, you'll find a coin and give that to the magistrates for their tribute money to Caesar. Interestingly enough, when there was a physical need, an actual coin that was needed, Jesus told Peter to go back and do the thing that he enjoyed the most, go fishing. (laughs) There's a talent there for all of us to understand because Peter had, Peter had fished the Sea of Galilee for years and he knew where all the hot spots were. And so Jesus told him, the first fish you catch, open its mouth and you'll find a coin and pay the tribute money so that they don't blame us or think that we're trying to get away with something. And here in chapter 18, they have come away from that And it says, in verse 1 of chapter 18 of Matthew, it says, And at the same time, the disciples came to Jesus, saying, Who is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? It seems like a moot point. The greatest in the kingdom of heaven would be the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, God himself. But they're really asking, who is the greatest person in the kingdom of heaven? And this is basically a text about about children. This is the child sermon. This is the next important sermon to the Sermon on the Mount. They have asked him a question. Who's the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? Jesus called a little child unto him and set him in the midst of them. This little child doesn't say if it was a girl or boy. But Jesus takes this child and plops the child down right in the midst of all of the apostles because they all heard the question. And he said in verse 3, Verily I say unto you, except you be converted and become as little children, you cannot enter into the kingdom of heaven. Whosoever therefore shall humble himself as this little child, the same is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. It reminds me of 
Jesus when he met Nicodemus. And he told Nicodemus, in order to get into heaven, you must be born again. You have to be born again. Except you be converted and become as little children, you shall not enter into the kingdom of heaven. It's a, it's a wonder if we were to truly understand it. This is always the fun part. We are on. Jesus said, I say unto you, except you be converted and become as little children, you shall not enter into the kingdom of heaven. Whosoever therefore shall humble himself as this little child, the same is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. It reminds me of Nicodemus. When Nicodemus met Jesus, he said, how can I get into the kingdom of heaven? And Jesus told him, you must be born again. Except you be born again of the Spirit, you cannot enter into the kingdom of heaven. Nicodemus says, well, how's that going to work? Am I supposed to climb back up into my mother's womb and be born again? The clarity is found in Jesus' directive to him. Except you be born again of the Spirit. You see, back in the Garden of Eden, mankind had lost the Spirit. They were cast out of the Garden. And though Jesus loved them, God loved them, and still provided for them, they were no longer being provided everything that they needed. They were told, you're going to have to work the land if you want to eat. You rejected the food that I had in the middle of the garden and you chose something that I forbade you to eat. That's bad fruit. That's disobedience. That's rejecting God's word. And here now the living word is speaking to these apostles. He's not talking about becoming childish. He's not talking about regressing in age. He's talking about how a child is so dependent upon his parent for everything. This sweet little baby out here that's being bounced on Jane's knee is so dependent upon her parents and her extended family for everything from food, clothing, shelter, but even beyond those things of the earth, security, a sense of belonging, a sense of identity. Who we are is as much a part of us as who God wants us to be because he wants us to be better. He wants us to be born again, just like Nicodemus needed to be born again. And so he's telling the disciples, except you come with childlike faith, putting all your cares upon me, for I care for you. 
putting all your trust in me because I'm the only one that's trustworthy. In all the earth, who can we trust among man? Can you name any of the any of the world leaders that we can thoroughly trust for everything that we need? They have an agenda. The pandemic is proof enough. They have an agenda. So Jesus says, humble yourself. Be converted. Be changed. Be changed. Put on the garment of humility. And let's, let's be mindful. He's talking to adults here about putting on humility, laying aside pride. Laying aside the idea that I can supply everything that I need in my own life. Materialistically, that might be true. But you cannot supply yourself with salvation. You cannot supply yourself with faith. Faith is a gift of God. And if you're too proud to admit it, that you, would, that you need faith, and you don't ask for it, you will never have it. So Jesus says, except you be converted and become as dependent as a little child is upon his parents, you shall not enter the kingdom of heaven. Now these are mostly Jewish men that he's speaking to. Men who were brought up under the law and accountable to the Levitical laws, all 213 ordinances of them that Paul later tells us it's impossible to fulfill all the law. He even admits, he said, the law was against us. Jesus continues and he says in verse 5, And whoso shall receive one such little child in my name receiveth me. Are you receiving a humble little baby? Are you receiving a humble person in your life? Are you encouraging or are you critical? Children learn by the things that they see in their household. Children learn by the things that they see their parents do, the habits that they undertake. Whoso shall receive one such little child in my name receiveth me, but whoso shall offend one of these little ones which believe in me, it were better for him that a millstone were hanged about his neck and that he were drowned in the depths of the sea. It would be better, it would be better to not have lived than to offend someone with a childlike faith. 
completely dependent upon the Lord Jesus Christ for all things. In Philippians chapter 4, if you would uh, jump over there for just a minute. In Philippians 4, Paul writes, Therefore, my brethren, dearly beloved and longed for, my joy and my crown, so stand fast in the Lord, my dearly beloved. I beseech you, Odeus, and beseech Syntyche, that they be of the same mind in the, law, in the Lord. And I entreat thee also, true yoke fellow, Help those women which labored with me in the gospel, with Clement also, and with other of my fellow laborers whose names are all in the book of life. Rejoice in the Lord always, and again I say rejoice. It gives us the idea that Euodius and Syntyche are at odds with one another and with the policies and the decisions that each has made when it comes to ministering in the church. He continues in verse 5 and says, Let your moderation be known unto all men. The Lord is at hand. Be careful for nothing, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known unto God. Clearly, that's not what was happening, and hence, Paul's admonition to the church at Philippi. Be careful for nothing and in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving. Let your requests be made known unto God and the peace of God, which passeth all understanding, shall keep your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. This stuff was going on in the church. Division, jealousy, territorialness. Oh no, that's my ministry. You know, I think you should do it this way, not the other way that you want to do it. That's pride. That's, that's being critical of the way the Holy Spirit is moving that other person to act, behave, and to lead in the church. So let your moderation be known unto all men. The Lord is at hand. He's watching everything that goes on in our churches. And let me tell you, there's a lot that's going on in our churches. And a lot of what not, what's not going on in our churches, in our churches, is the teaching of the gospel of peace. The teaching of the gospel of peace. They're doing topicals. They're giving you little, little glimpses of, of the passages. I heard of a pastor in the last couple of weeks. He took something that we're going to look at in a minute. When there was 
an offense going on in his church by a single person. There was gossip. And in Matthew 18, right where we are today, it gives us directions on how to address such a problem within the church. If your brother or sister offends you, you're to go to them one-on-one and reveal the offense. And if they hear you and put correction in place, you have gained your brother or sister. But if they don't hear you, you're to take them before the elders of the church and let them know that what they're doing is not acceptable. And if they, if they repent, then you've gained your brother or sister. But if they don't hear you, you're to take them in front of the whole church. A pastor, this pastor that I heard of, he did exactly that. He followed the scriptural guidelines. He went to that person one-on-one, nothing changed. He took them before the elders and nothing changed. He brought them before the whole church and the whole church was in an uproar because he exposed the person's sin in front of everyone. See, the whole congregation was not aware of the fact that he had already approached them one-on-one that the elders of the church had already approached them one-on-one, and so they denigrated him because he exposed them to the whole church. Two of his elders resigned, and half the church left. But he was doing exactly what Jesus tells us should happen when discipline is needed within the church. He lost half his church. But unless you know the full story, that he had already gone and talked to that person, the elders had spoken to that person, what it reminds us of is the fact that there's a lot of material in the Bible that we are not familiar with on a day-to-day basis. They're specific to particular events or particular patterns of behavior. And Jesus addresses it perfectly. And if that person doesn't repent and some of the elders leave and some of the congregants leave, there's a silver lining because the church has been purged and a little bit of fear of the Lord has re-entered the body of Christ in that church. Because nobody wants to be exposed in front of the whole church for their personal sin issues. But if, if the correction is in place and you refuse it, then you're refusing the word of God. Whoso shall offend one of these little ones, one of these people with childlike faith, someone who is young in the Lord, perhaps. If 
it would be better for him that a millstone were hanged about his neck and that he were drowned in the depth of the sea because he harmed he harmed one of Jesus's precious ones young in age maybe young in the faith certainly woe unto the world because of offenses have you heard any offensive news this week <laughs> everything in the news is offensive if you if you ask me nonetheless Woe unto the world because of offenses, for it must needs be that offenses come. Why is that? Because offenses come, and how we respond to them is a test of our faith. It's a test of, do we believe in God's word, what he has told us and what he has directed us to do? It must needs be that offenses come because our faith is going to be tested. But woe to that man by whom the offense cometh. These are strong words coming from Jesus. Even as he's talking to those that are clearly, if not already, leaders in the ministry, leaders in the church of the future. In verse 8, it says, Wherefore, if thy hand or thy foot offend thee, cut them off and cast them from thee. It is better for thee to enter the life halt or maimed rather than having two hands or two feet and be cast into everlasting fire. Is there something in our lives that needs to be cut out? Is there something that is not pleasing to God in our lives that we need to correct? <laughs> yeah, pretty much everything. It all lives in the flesh. Our bodies have appetites. And we like the things that we feed on. And I'm not talking about food. I'm talking about behaviors, attitudes, character traits that may be passed down from a previous generation but have not yet been taken care of at the cross. And if thy eye offend thee, pluck it out and cast it from thee. It is better for thee to enter into life with one eye rather than having two eyes and be cast into hellfire. Take heed that you despise not one of these little ones, one of his young believers. For I say unto you that in heaven their angels do always behold the face of my Father which is in heaven. I'm going to turn you back to Matthew chapter 6. Matthew 6, we're going to look again at verse 22. 
The light of the body is the eye. If therefore the eye be single, thy whole body shall be full of light. What a wonderful statement. Having singleness of vision, understanding the Lord's will for your life, and working it out daily, daily, as we work towards the perfection that Jesus desires, which is to say, putting away the flesh and building into the Spirit. Lord, less of me and more of you in my life. That's what I need. That's what everyone needs. In Hebrews chapter 2, Hebrews chapter 2, I'm sorry, Hebrews chapter 12, verse 2. I went right by it in my own Bible. Verse 2 of Hebrews 12. I'm going to go back to verse 1 and read both verses. Wherefore, seeing we also are compassed about with so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight. What things weigh us down? The opinion of others? How we come off towards other people? Is that what we worry about? The Lord Jesus certainly didn't care about that. If he was able to look the, the elders, the Pharisees, and the scribes of the temple and call them hypocrites, surely they would think he was a whack job. Who the heck is he to say this about us? Doesn't he know who we are? And yet he saw through them and saw what they truly were. Wherefore, we, seeing that we are also compassed about with so great a cloud of witnesses, lay us, let us lay aside every weight, every burden, and the sin which doth easily, so easily beset us. And let us run with patience the race that is set before us. Looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is set down at the right hand of the throne of God. Despising the shame that he went through, the humiliation of going to the cross having to deal with our sin for us, despising the shame. But he knew that there was a joy that was set before him beyond the cross, and that's reconciliation with his creation. 
with those that are his. And he is now set down at the right hand of the throne of God. That's, a, that's something that we need to adopt into our own lives and make part of our character that when we're going through tough times, when people are thinking ill of us, when they think we're being prideful and uncompassionate, when they think we should be masked, when they think that we should all be vaccinated, There was an interesting book written in 1995. It was called Murder by Injection. And it addresses some of the very things that we are looking at today. Written some 25, 28 years ago. Take heed and despise not one of these little ones. Oh, you're a Christian and you're not masking? Oh, you're a Christian and you're not vaccinating? Oh, you're a Christian and you're not giving to this, that, or the other fund? God teaches us how to be good stewards with our finances, how to be good stewards with our bodies, how to be good stewards with our minds. And he encourages us to exercise those things so that they are his solely. Are we truly sold out for Jesus? Then we should know that he's trustworthy. We should know even what these leaders of our country put together in the Constitution. They all believed in God. They were all deists. Many of them were born-again Christians. And they believed in the gospel and they believed in the word of God. And they said, this is the freedom that we want to live in and live under. And we want others to come and live in that same freedom. It wasn't the freedom of the United States. It was the freedom of being a child of God. And many of those that signed the Declaration of Independence wrote later on that this type of government cannot exist unless the nation it leads is Christian. And look at where all of our Christian compassion has gotten us now. Those are our political leaders. They have taken us down this path. They have taken us down this road 
which opens the door to everyone and everyone, and they forget to lead them to Christ. And now, you can't talk about Jesus. You can't have, you can't have a, a verse written on a public building. You can't have outdoor events at the town hall during Christmas, the singing of carols or anything else. And yet, on the, on the face, on the facade of Congress, on the Capitol, you will see in relief some of the holy characters of the Bible, including Moses and the law and all of these other great people of faith carved out like statues right into the, the facade of the building. What would Jesus call them now? The same thing that he called the Pharisees. He would call them hypocrites. You live under the freedom of religion. You live under the freedom of the gospel. You live under the freedom that was developed for you by holy men who knew what they wanted rather than oppression. And now you're putting us all under oppression. You're telling us we have to do this, we have to do that. And sometimes now even, even the things that we do are taxed. The things that we do in God's name. It's incredible when we look at it and we see how far we've come from the simple truth of the gospel. In verse 11, it says, For the Son of Man has come to save that which was lost. He came to save the ones that were not living in pure belief. They were not living in faith. That were not seeking Him. He already told us through Jeremiah, you know, you will seek him and find him when you search for him with all your heart because that's where we will find our fulfillment. That's where we will find our identity, our security. It's in Jesus Christ that we have our being, a child of God. For the Son of Man came to save that which was lost. How think ye? If a man have a hundred sheep and one of them go, has gone astray, doth he not leave the ninety-nine and goeth into the mountains and seek that which is gone astray? Oh, but he can't leave the ninety-nine. They'll be, they'll be consumed. No, they won't. They'll be under the protection of God. They'll be under the strength of numbers. They'll be able to defend. While the shepherd is gone looking for the one that was lost. 
Does that shepherd not go and in, go into the mountains and seek that which has gone astray? And if is so be that he find it, verily I say unto you, he rejoices more of that sheep than of the ninety-nine which went not astray. This is a duplicate teaching to the prodigal son. The same characters are in it. Those that stayed and the one that wanted to stray. Even so, it is not the will of your Father, which is in heaven, that one of these little ones should perish. One of these people with young faith, with hope, because they've seen something good in Jesus Christ that is going to bring them to the next step in their lives. It is not the will of your Father which is in heaven that one of these little ones should perish. If one of these little ones is a child, we know the heartbreak of children that perish. Do we know the heartbreak of a young believer who has had their faith crushed? Those are the little ones that we need to be careful of. Being careful of how we handle them. That we invite them. That we embrace them. That we make them feel secure. In that simple mustard seed side of size of faith that they have. And then nurture that, that seed and cause it to grow. This next section of the, of the gospel this morning of Matthew's, Matthew's 18th chapter, we'll have to continue that next week. This is a chapter that is so full of the things that we need on a daily basis. But to give you an example, please turn to, before we close out this morning's message, please turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 5. <clears throat> this is a passage about cutting off an offending member of the body. This is a section of the, the epistle where Paul is offering correction to the body of Christ and to a member of the church at Corinth who had a sin that did so easily beset him. In verse 1 it says, It is reported commonly that there is fornication among you and such fornication is not so much as named among the Gentiles that one should have his father's wife. Even the Gentiles, even the heathen weren't doing that. They wouldn't think of it. 
But it's reported commonly that that's part of what you guys are doing. There is someone in that church at the time who was involved in that sin. And he says to the rest of the church in this letter, he says, and you are puffed up and have not rather mourned that he hath done this deed. He that has done this deed might be taken away from among you. For I verily, as absent in body, but present in the spirit, have judged already as though I were present concerning him that has done this deed. In the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, when you are gathered together and my spirit with the power of, the, of your Lord Jesus Christ to deliver such a one unto Satan for the destruction of the flesh so that the spirit might be saved in the day of the Lord Jesus, your glorying is not good. Know ye not that a little leaven leaveneth the whole lump? Purge out, therefore, the old leaven, that you may be a new lump, as you are unleavened. For even Christ, our Passover, is sacrificed for us. There was a very grave sinner in their midst at the church at Corinth. And Paul says, you're puffed up. Oh, see how compassionate we are? We allow this man to continue in fellowship with us. Everybody knows that he's doing this, but nobody's going to approach him. Everybody is part of the body. Some are eyes, some are ears, some are feet, some are hands. And if you've got an offended, an offending member, it says, as we read before, to cut it off. Cast it far from thee. It's better that you go into heaven lame or maimed than have all of your members there and all of you go to hell. Cast into eternal torment. So Paul is pretty pointed here with what his words are to the church at Corinth. You'll find that in almost all of Paul's letters, there is admonition in there for each of those churches. Corrective statements that are going to underscore and build their faith. Their foundation has been weakened by this person and their pride has been weakened, their pride has been strengthened by letting him continue in fellowship with him. He says it is commonly, it is reported commonly, everybody knows it. Oh, we don't want to hurt anybody. This is, this is you, you think political correctness is a new thing? This is political correctness run amok. We don't want to offend anybody. Or in some churches, we don't want to lose their tithes. I met a man in a church one time. He was so wealthy that he dominated the whole church and he set the course for the church moving forward into the future. But he was filled with pride. He was filled with money. And he knew it and he used it to his own advantage. 
He guided that church into oblivion. He forgot in his 70s and his 80s that there should be children's ministry if the church was to move forward into the the future. If the church was going to exist, it would need the children of the church to be the leaders of tomorrow. And yet he wanted things to go his way. He refused modern worship. Not a big band, not big speakers, just modern worship, like the songs we sang today. They're not for everybody. But they can be for anybody. Because we're singing the words, we're listening to the words. And I couldn't help but be reminded during worship this morning that these are all songs of hope. Just songs of hope in the Lord Jesus Christ. Convinced that the Lord was coming and that we were protected in the shadow of his wings. Paul's harsh words saying cast the man out. It's the basis of what some churches and religions know as shunning. If you've ever been shunned at a church, you know how hurtful it can be if it's directed at you. But in Paul's second letter, In chapter 2, he says, I know that my words were strong to you, but it is enough now. Welcome him back into fellowship. Shunning, as far as Paul was concerned, was a temporary punishment because it divided the man away from something that was apparently important to him because he kept coming every week. But he couldn't get away from the sin. And so Paul eventually says, it is enough. Welcome him back in. Paul wouldn't have said that unless he knew personally that the man had repented. See, even in great punishment, even in political correctness, there is room for grace and mercy. Plenty of room for grace and mercy. We see that just in the faces that are here today. We are all living under grace and mercy. Grace is given unto those who don't deserve it. And mercy is given to those who need it. One gets the benefit of something he doesn't deserve and, some, and the other one doesn't get what he does deserve. All because of Jesus' love for his church. So take this with you. This is a tough chapter. Take this with you this week. Go back through and study it yourself. If you have some study aids and references, 
go through some of those some of those Greek words and meanings and really understand the message that God has for us today. Heavenly Father, we are so blessed by the record of Matthew and the records of Paul giving us examples of discipline within the church. And Lord, how important it is, the lesson that we learn ourselves today is that we look to the word for everything that we need. The living word is Jesus Christ and all that he did for us on the cross. But it's also everything that he did on the cross that is now behind him and our crosses will be behind us and we will be in his presence afterward. That's the joy of the glory that lies beyond our crosses. Jesus experienced it and he says, follow me. Heavenly Father, we just love you today. We thank you for your word. We thank you for preserving it all these eons and thousands of years so that we can read it today. We thank you for this message. And Lord, we thank you for your love. We praise you for all of these things. And go before us this week, Lord, please. Keep us at your side. Don't let us run ahead. Don't let us lag behind. Keep us at your side. Don't let us be distracted by the offenses of the world. But keep us focused on just you. Your promises to us are the same promises to all of our brothers and sisters around the world, regardless of their situation and circumstances. Be glorified, Lord. We praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. From Psalm 67, verses 1 and 2, God, be merciful to us and bless us and cause his face to shine upon us, that thy way may be known upon earth, thy saving health among all nations. God bless you. Have a wonderful week in the Lord. Have a great day. Looks like it's a beauty out there. There's sun sunshine and blue sky and puffy white clouds. Just a pretty day. Enjoy your time. Enjoy your day. And enjoy your faith most of all. God bless you. Thank you for listening to the Sunday Morning Bible Study at Whitestone Christian Fellowship, taught by Pastor Bob Lorenz. To access the list of teachings or to check the archives for Pastor Bob's weekly observations column, log on to whitestonecf.com. There you can also check the weekly schedule and any upcoming events. To contact us or to drop a note to Pastor Bob, you can email us at whitestonecf at gmail.com or call us at 585-924-8820. Whitestone Christian Fellowship is a non-denominational congregation. Every Sunday, Pastor Bob walks us through the Bible, teaching line upon line and verse by verse. And we're located in the village of Victor, a little southeast of Rochester, New York. And if you're in the area, we invite you to visit us. From upstate New York, Pastor Bob encourages all of us to immerse ourselves in the Word of God. Until next time, remember that Jesus is our victor. Stay close to Him.